Psalm 51. That's where we'll be today. Pastor Will is going to come. Just a moment. Psalm 51. I'd like to read the text for you, and then Will will join us and preach God's word. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then... I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you so much, uh, John, for leading us in worship and then also just reading for us. And uh, boy, the songs just were right on point uh, this morning. You know, come as you are. Just come to the Lord. There's not, there's not one hurt that's too big for the Lord. There's not one sin that he cannot forgive. Uh, what a beautiful passage of scripture and how it just goes with the songs we sang. And I hope that your hearts are encouraged. This morning, we want to look at what is a sinner's prayer. We're going to look at what David penned and how that in admission of his sin, he needs grace. You see, we all drift we all have seasons of relational distance from God. And often when we sin, we just try to forgive it, forget it, or we cover or hide our sins. We try to minimize our infractions or blame them on others. When exposed, we try to compensate and do more good things. We promise we'll never do it again. Our self-reliance reveals 
our lack of understanding of God's grace. The question that I want us to ask is, what does God want us to do with our sin? What does God want when we see our sin? In Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, he says, For thou will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, these two verses, they serve as a culmination of an entire psalm that was given as an example of how to deal with sin and find grace. In all this, God is looking for a heart that knows how little it deserves and how much it owes. To learn the context of this psalm, I I want you to go back to Psalm 51. He says right there in the introduction, you see a a phrase probably in your Bible. This is found in in the Hebrew text. It says to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. You see, this public psalm was birthed via private sin of David that's recorded in 2 Samuel 11 through 12. You see, David, he, he neglected his kingly responsibility and he lusted after and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David tries to cover up his sin by having her husband, Uriah, come back from the battlefield and to be with her. His plan fails. This Uriah won't go back and be with his wife. And so when this plan fails, David arranged for Joab, the general of the army, to place Uriah in the most dangerous place of battle so that he would be slain. The plan works. Having murdered Uriah, David is now free to marry Bathsheba. The palace secret is safe and the king's business is back to usual. But thankfully, God is bigger than our sin. Thankfully, God is bigger than our cover-ups. And in this story, God intervenes by sending Nathan, the prophet. You see, David probably did not initially realize that when God sent Nathan, the prophet, God was actually sending grace. Nathan arrests the attention of the the king by telling him a story of a rich man who went over and stole a poor man's lamb and went back and fed it to a friend. David hears this story. He's incensed. And inadvertently, he pronounces his own death sentence. He says over in 2 Samuel, he says, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he has no pity. And Nathan's response was quite simple. You are the man. And Nathan begins to unpack the depth of David's sin and the ramifications of his cover-up. He starts to speak to David's hardened heart, and God begins to melt that heart of stone. And then finally, David's response is not to blame shift, it's not to cover up. He simply says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And that phrase is the seed that the rest of this Psalm 51 comes out of. This psalm is a lament over the weight of sin, and it's a prayer for God's mercy and grace. David was desperate for God to forgive, cleanse, restore, and use once again. David got it. What God wanted at this moment was a broken and contrite heart in need of grace. 
You see, this need for grace is what all of us need. I, I think sometimes we can hear the story of David's adultery and his murder, and our first response is to say, well, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to know where to go in the Bible if I ever fall into those sins. And yet it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than just avoiding the, the one or two massive manifestations of breaking the Ten Commandments. No, in this passage, we see a selfishness. And in this passage, we see a hardness of heart and a self-reliance. And we see a self-righteousness that God wants to crush. You see, David had a problem that many of us have. It's that we fail to see the sinfulness of our hearts and our need for grace and I want to propose to you that no matter how hard your heart is, no matter how blind you are to your sin, God's grace is bigger, stronger, and greater. He can change your heart. You see, much of Scripture speaks to us. But Psalm 51 speaks for us. It's a psalm, a prayer, a gift to know what to say when we can't say our own words, to know where to go when our heart is hard, to know how we should pray when we don't know which end is up. It's, it's a prayer that sees sin and leads us to grace. And what we're going to do this morning is just look at five phrases that when combined make a sinner's prayer. And the first phrase is, Lord Forgive me. Look at the first two verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. You see, with intensity, David just burst wide open. He doesn't wait for a slow build or a lengthy explanation. He literally shouts out pleading for forgiveness. This loud, broken-hearted cry comes from one who's seen his sin and all of its devastating effects. The weight of sin has pushed him so low that he uses almost every Hebrew word available to him to just describe his wickedness. Do you see the words transgression, iniquity, sin, transgression? It just signifies our open rebellion. Iniquity is just talking about how sin is perverse, bent and twisted. And the sin just reminds us that we've fallen short of the expectations of God. If we had time, we would have read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and in that story, there's so many layers to David's sin, it was hideous. He neglected his kingly duties. He was not out fighting with the rest of the Israelites. In fact, when his best soldiers are out fighting, then if he's to stay home, it's the king's responsibility to protect those that are left behind, and yet rather than protect them, he used them. He commits adultery. He then lies. He then murders one of his best soldiers. And while we can readily understand his intensity to seek for forgiveness, we can forget that we should be just as intense as seeking forgiveness for our rebellion and sin. You see, the weight of sin, it should crush us. You see, that's what happened when sin comes in and then God gives the law. He just shows us we, we can't measure up. There, there's no measure of keeping up. The sin, I, I might change an outward manifestation of behavior, but there's something deeper. There's something more broken. There's something not right. And so with intensity, 
the intensity that David addresses God, it's, it's, it's almost offensive. You see, all, all four of the verbs in these two first, verse, first two verses are in the imperative. He, he cries out, you can see it in your English text, have mercy, blot out, wash me, cleanse me. I mean, who's David to tell God what to do? And yet as we meditate on this circumstance, we begin to realize that David's directness is not inappropriate, rather it's desired. David's intense imperatives are communicating desperation and dependence. You see these desperate imperatives. When, when one is lost at sea, we, we don't whisper for help. When you're in the library, you do not, and you're having a heart attack, you, you disregard the no talking sign. When you're desperate, you, you shout out with whatever energy you have. And so when the sinner sees the depth of, of her or his sin, and they understand that no other sinner can help, they cry out to God in desperation. This is why David pleads, have mercy on me. You could translate this, grace me. Similar words are used in the high priestly benediction when the high priest says, and may the Lord be gracious unto you. You see, cry out, have mercy on me, O God. It's just this penitent one coming to an end of himself. My sin is great. I need a grace that's greater. This one is crying, show me mercy. I have no hope but God. My sin runs deep, grace me. Blot out my transgressions. The idea would be for God to wipe the transgression, or, or it's actually, it's a little bit more literally, it's to scrape off. David is pleading, remove this permanent stain. It's, it's like taking some, some scraper, and you're just dragging it across the surface to just get under that sin and peel it off. But wash me from my iniquity. Take my dirty clothes of sin and wash them entirely, cleanse me from sin so that I can once again come into your presence in the temple. You see these desperate imperatives, they're not offensive because they're also dependent imperatives. You see, David is described in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14 as a, a man after God's own heart. He understood the, the character and the promises of God. And notice how these cries are directed to the one who has the capacity and the desire to forgive. So, so he gives his imperative, but, but look what it's dependent on. He, he says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. You see, God was honoring, David was honoring God by appealing to God's promise-keeping nature. When, when sin disrupts one's fellowship with God, he he has no right to divine blessing except for the fact that the Lord has promised to forgive the humble. Except for the fact that God's forgiveness is solely based on his love and his compassion. I mean, the, the, the seeds of this covenant relationship are found all the way back in Exodus 34 when he, the, the, the Bible reads, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, God's love is steadfast. His mercy, abundant. Are your sins too big for God? Do you believe that his grace is greater? Are you thankful that God is a covenant-keeping God? 
Aren't you thankful for 1 John 1, 9 when it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? So, so why would any of us want to try to keep our sin? Let the steadfast love of God and the abundant mercy of God meet your brokenness over sin. Be intense and ask the Lord to forgive you. You see, after the, David prays, Lord, forgive me, he goes on and now he says, Lord, I confess my sin. In verses three through six, he prays, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and the only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in mercy, in truth, in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You see, Lord, I confess my sin. My, my sin is ever before me. With honesty, he stops hiding and just tells it like it is. The verbs in these verses are in the indicative. He, he goes from the imperative, asking and telling God that he needs to be forgiven. And now he's just admitting. Now he's just laying it out. He's just giving all the cold, hard facts. In fact, he makes it very personal. There's, there's over 30 personal pronouns in this psalm to emphasize his personal responsibility for sin. And with honesty, he, he knows exactly how he's fallen short. He knows his transaction, verse 3. He takes total responsibility for his own sin. He's no longer hiding his sin like he was doing in 2 Samuel eleven six, 6, where he tried to make it look like Uriah was the father of Bathsheba's baby. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. That's what the text says. He doesn't even care about the war. He doesn't care about Uriah. He doesn't care about anything but to cover up his sin. And David says to Uriah, go down to your house. Wash your feet. Uriah doesn't. And so David invites him back to his, his throne room again, and he ate in his presence and drank. And then in 2 Samuel 11, verse 13, and it says that David made him drunk. Maybe now this drunk soldier will go back and be with his wife. And yet Uriah says, how can I do this when all of the soldiers are out there, when the Ark of the Covenant is out there, when, when Joab is leading, how can I do this? And finally, David says in 2 Samuel eleven fifteen, he says to Joab as general, he says, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he might be struck down and die. And here's David now. He's been confronted. confronted. The weight of his sin is now a reality. What was hidden has come to the light. And here he is. He just writes it for all to see. You see, we know that we're being honest about our sin when we stop making excuses about our sin. We don't hear anything in David saying things like, others have done it, why can't I? They, they made me do it. My past is the reason I made that choice. You probably would have done the same if you were in my shoes. I'm not as bad as you think. I'm not as bad as others. And David simply says, no, it's me. It's me. I'm a sinner. His sin was a part of who he is. But then we see his sin, or he said, my sin is ultimately against God. 
He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment with, with honesty and without seeking to minimize the pain or the offense towards others. David just recognizes that his sin was ultimately against God. It's like he had one place to go and one thing to say against you and the only have I sinned. You see, David submitted to the assessment of 2 Samuel 11, verse 28, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And with David, we ought to be just as concerned when we trample on others, when we forget the goodness of God. You see, transgressions are not trivial. These selfish choices cannot be hidden. The weight of sin, it builds. And when we sin against others, we're ultimately sinning against God. God uses the weight of our sin to break us of self-reliance and self-dependence and self-righteousness. You see, our inability not to sin is heavy, our only Hope is God. And while standing before the judgment of God, David just simply agreed with God. He said this, guilty as charged. He says, your words are just and your judgments are blameless. He just is saying, I eliminate my, my, my excuses. I, I recuse my ability to bring another witness to support my case. No, God, you've said it. It's true. I'm guilty. I've sinned against you. You see, my sin is what I do. My sin is ultimately against God, but my sin is a part of me. He goes on in verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inner being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. With honesty, he just admits that his sinful pattern had flavored every word, action, and motive since the day he was born. You see, Romans chapter 3 takes a piece of this exact verse and then expounds it. And it says, and, and Paul says in Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned of the glory of God. Do you understand that no person is sin free? You see, we live in a culture that, that really tries to communicate that, that, that mankind is actually pretty good and they just mess up every once in a while. And if they'll just try harder, eventually they're going to do better and eventually they're going to they're push through and one day they're going to be great and one day it's all going to work out and yet how's that working out for us here in Utah? Talk, talk to me about our, our crime. Talk to me about our homelessness. Talk to me about our social issues. Talk to me about all the mental health issues that are in this state. How's this working out for us? Just trying to sweep our sin under the carpet. Just trying to pretend like it's not there. Just trying harder and all the same sinning more. See, David, he just says, no, why? I, I just have to be honest. I, I, I did that, Lord. I, I did that adultery. I did that murder. I am a sinner, and it was against you. And, it, and, and Lord, it's just like it's a part of me. It's just like it's so woven into the fabric of who I am. You see, no one in their own strength has perfectly measured up to the desires of God as found in verse 6. He, he, he delights in truth in the inner being. You, you teach me wisdom in the secret part. One commentator said, God is seeking a person with an external profession that is consistent with the inward reality of his or her being. 
I do think that's a major emphasis of really Christian sanctification is that, is that when, a, when a, a person becomes a Christian, when they're saved, they're justified. God declares them as righteous. They're regenerated. The Spirit of God now dwells in them. And then the Spirit of God is progressively changing them more and more. And what happens is that inward reality begins to sync up with their outward behavior. You see, we can't do that in our own strength. We need grace. And then we see the third aspects of a sinner's prayers, Lord, cleanse me. You see, he starts off, forgive me. He says, I'm a sinner. But then he says, cleanse me. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my transgressions with a cautious Yet confident tone, David asked God to mercifully remove the guilt and grief of his sinful choices. It's very unique. In fact, most of the commentators bring this up, how how it started with the the first verbs were in the imperative, just a a desperate cry, and then the indicative, just a, a transparency and an honesty, and then they go into the future, and it's it's like a hope. In fact, many of these we can see it in our translation, but but you could almost add a, a word when, like like when you purge me, I shall be clean. When you wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. And so here's David who who knows he's a sinner, who's broken before God, and he's just saying, God, but, but when you do this deep, sweet work in my life, I will be different. Oh, God, cleanse me. Poetically, he returns to those three verbs that he said in verses one through two, blot, wash, and cleanse, and now he flips it. It's, it's, a, it's a, a type of poetry, and he says, cleanse me from guilt, and what he's talking about with the hyssop is that, that the, the high priest would actually take the hyssop and dip it into water and ceremonially sprinkle that water on somebody or something that was unclean and make it clean so in fact, David adds on to this, uh, this metaphor, and he, and he says, uh, and I shall be whiter than snow. There's so little snow in Israel. And yet on the top of Mount Hermon, there is. And we don't know, perhaps he trekked up, up, up there, perhaps. Someone brought him some snow. <coughs> and yet we know what it's like to go to sleep with no snow and to wake up with eight inches. The calmness. There's something about waking up a little bit early before the snow plow. There's something, the the quietness, the cleanness. He's like, when you do this, when you clean me, I'm going to be so clean, I'm just going to be like that fresh layer of snow. You know, um, I used to travel, and I used to uh, preach in all sorts of churches all over America, and there was probably a little bit of a, a barrier between me and the folks I'd preached to because I didn't know them. I didn't know their name. I didn't know their story. And yet to be a pastor, that barrier isn't there. 
And I know stories. And I know names. And sometimes as a pastor, it's just really hard to prep and to preach because you think, boy, there are some people in our congregation that are so weighed down, so hurting because of their choice or maybe somebody else's choice or, or maybe, maybe the evil that they inherited, maybe the habits that just have enslaved. It could be that you've sinned in the past. It could be that you can't shake the guilt. It could be that you have a present sin that you think is too big for God. I love that last song by Crowder. Just come as you are. You're weary. You're hurting. Just come to the Lord. Come in desperation, forgive me. Just come to the Lord and just lay it out. Just come to the Lord. Ask him to cleanse you. Oh, Lord, cleanse me from guilt. Oh, Lord, cleanse me from pain. Oh, sin's, fa- sin's effects linger, don't they? Oh, we could confess, and yet sometimes, like arthritis, it sneaks into the broken bones. I, I hate football, and I was playing it, and I broke my pinky. That's why I really hate it. Not only did it hurt me, it hurt me in a way that like, you can't tell people. And this pinky, oh, they put it in a split. It was right in the knuckle. I had a, they, they had to put in a special little splint that was bent, and then I, I, I had to take it out of the splint and move it around and put it back, and, and they were so concerned that it would seize up, and, and the doctor was super pleased, and I was. I, 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 have you all seen that broken pinky that doesn't get treated? It just kind of goes wonk like that. You've you seen that pinky? Of, maybe some of you have that pinky. Thankfully, I mean, look, mine's almost normal, right? And yet just the last couple years, I've been, I, I feel it. I'll, I'll go to sleep. I, I think I'm getting to the age where you go to sleep and you w- wake up hurt. I don't know what that, <laughs> I woke up and my pinky was killing me. I'm like, what did I do in my sleep? Seriously. And sometimes sin and its effects or the sin's consequences, they, they just linger I don't need you to raise your hand, but how many of you, you rue a choice, you, you wish you wouldn't have said it, you wish you wouldn't have thought it, you wish you wouldn't have done it, you, you just wish that you were smarter, wiser, you wish you would have avoided it, you just, you, just, you just hate the fact that you made that sinful choice and all of its effects. Well, why don't you come to the Lord and why don't you say, Lord, that, that was painful, and Lord, that was a bad choice, and yet, Lord, that's been forgiven, and so, Lord, cleanse me from my pain. Oh, Lord, please, let me use that pain as, as an impetus for me to seek your face. In fact, he goes on, he says, let me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Oh, Lord, my sin was so bad and so heavy, I broke bones over it, and they hurt. Cleanse me from guilt, cleanse me from pain, cleanse me from shame. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I just want to speak very pointedly. There's some of you that there was a failure, there was a wrong, and yet you've been forgiven by God and all people connected to the circumstance. So stop groveling before your father. If he has graced you, He's graced you. 
Like, stop trying to pay for it. You, you couldn't initially, so you can't now. You, you can't pay for your sin. You, you need a savior. That's the whole point. This is, this is where this is building. I, I can't do this. It's too much. It's too heavy. And the psalmist, he just says, so Lord, your eyes go everywhere. So somehow I don't understand how this works since you can see everything and you know everything past and present. Would you hide your face from my sin? Would you just blot out all my iniquities. I just got to believe that the consequences of David's sin would haunt him. I mean, he had to come to the fact that his sin was more important than all of the effect on others. I mean, do you know that when he set up that little circumstance with Joab to put Uriah in a place of battle, that there were other men that died as well? Like, like Uriah died, but there were other soldiers that were in that danger zone that died. There were tears in Jerusalem because David was trying to cover up his sin. So somewhere in there, David, he had to come to his senses. Do you know that David was callous to the death of his, one of his mighty men? I mean, Uriah was one of David's most brave soldiers. He'd been with him for a long time. So somewhere David had to come to his senses that there was a baby that was a product and victim of the sin. That there had to be times that David is sitting alone. And he's thinking, I committed murder. I killed brave people. Cleanse me. But then he switched his prayer of cleansing to a prayer of renewal. He said, Lord, renew me and keep me. He says in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. We, we know, I, I mentioned this earlier, that, that Samuel called David a man after God's own heart. And we see this even in this circumstance, that, that even though David allowed his heart to go astray, when, when David found forgiveness, he was most concerned Concerned about his future relationship with God. He, he really was a man after God's own heart. He, he didn't ask that his, his children would be, uh, that his lineage would stay in rulership, in, in, in really kingship over Israel. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for protection. He just simply, as, as God's working in his heart, as, as he cried out, forgive me, when he lays it out, when he, when he asks to be cleansed, now he just wants to be kept. He doesn't want to lose that relationship again. He says, renew my heart for you. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. He, he just wants a heart that's idle free. He just wants a heart that values God over everything else. He's, he just wants a clean slate. Can I, can I tell you, this is the opposite of religion. Like, do you know what religion does? Do you know what self-righteousness does? When, when, that, when a self-righteous person sees their sin, they get fearful and they get frantic and then they try to, they try to help people. They pull out the, the pocketbook and they just start giving bills to everyone. I mean, they, they start looking for volunteer opportunities. And, and here's David, he's been exposed and he simply says, 
So just create a clean heart in me. Just renew a right spirit. And I, I just want to walk with you. I just want to go back to those hillsides when I'm watching sheep and I'm making songs. I just want to be there alone. This, this whole king thing, I mean, Lord, it's your will and your will be done, but I just want to walk with you. And he says, renew in me a sense of your presence and power. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I just love those alone times, God. I just, I know what it's like to be there as a shepherd and this bear or this lion comes to take the sheep and you supernaturally empowered me to fight that animal that should have destroyed me. I know what it's like to be chased around the En Gedi by Saul. I know what it's like to be in the wilderness wondering if I'm gonna live another day. I know what it's like to face the Philistines and giants and I know what it's like to have your power residing in me. Oh God, don't take away your presence. And oh God, renew in me joy for your works. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Those times you delivered me from enemies. Those times you delivered me from myself. Oh God, touch my affections Stir my heart and keep me from ever forgetting you. He said, uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, if we were to go back to 2 Samuel, we would see times where David's failure, it should have been obvious. It was like, it was, it was bright lights. And David never wanted to become oblivious to the clear commands of scripture again. Upon confronting David, Nathan the prophet, he said, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what's evil in his sight? And then listen, listen to Nathan. He says, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and you took his wife to be your wife. It's like Uriah is almost like this hitting the side of his head. And he's like, David, did, did you despise the word of the Lord? Did you actually think you'd get away with this? Did you think you could be an adulterer and a murderer? And David said, I don't want to go back there. You see, David didn't want to become oblivious to the clear commands of Scripture. He didn't want to miss the obvious warnings about sin. You see, even when David looked out his window or looked off of his patio and he, and he sees this woman taking a bath, he, he sends for her, and one of his servants says this, Is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? How many times when we go towards sin, the Lord gives us obvious warnings? And David did not want to be consumed with what he did not have rather than being thankful for what we did have. And in 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 through 8, Nathan the prophet, he says, David, I can't believe that you went and took this one woman when you have all of these wives and you have all of these good things and have you forgotten the goodness of God to go take that which is not yours? And David, the shepherd, did not want to be the lost sheep. He said in Psalm 119, he says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. <laughs> Are you wandering? Like, like right now, is your heart beating for the Lord? Or are you distracted by the drivel that's all around us? 
Are you a sheep that's lost? I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Now forgiven and convinced that God will keep him, David's ready to serve. By the way, I, I, I'm poking really at our endless capacity of self-righteousness. I think that often we hear of our sin and we gather up our internal resources and we say, I'm going to go and I'm going to do and I'm, I'm going go, to go conquer. That's what I'm going to do because I'm my savior. And yet in this passage, it's actually reversed. It's, it's forgive me. I, I'm a sinner. Please cleanse me. Please keep me. And then he says, Lord, I commit to serve and worship you with all my heart. Verse 13 through 17, then, key word, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will, de- you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You see, only after David received the cleansing work of God, he was ready to serve. Once forgiven, he just yielded to do whatever God wanted of him. It's like David saying, I'm all in, Lord. I commit to you, God. Please use me. You see, a sinner that has experienced a deep sense of his own sinfulness and forgiveness and the grace that God offers and the sweetness of restored joy is ready to serve God and others. There's something special about being friends with somebody who's had a really hard life and yet now they're a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's sweet to be friends with people like that. Do you remember, do you remember that woman with her spike nard, that ointment? Hundreds of days of salary and she brings it and she breaks it and it goes all over Jesus Christ's feet and Simon is like, oh, does he even know what kind of woman this is? And Jesus says a phrase. Those that have been forgiven of much love much. You see, when my, when my heart's cold, when I, I don't have love for God and others, I'm disconnected to the grace of God. Because when I remember how much grace I've received, when I remember how much I've been forgiven, how much mercy has been poured out on me, oh, I, I just want to love God. I'm so thankful. I mean, here in his love, not that I loved him first, but he loved me. You see, David's saying, I, I just am willing, Lord, I, like, like if you'd use me, God, I, I know that, that everyone out there sees me as a king, but I know you, God, you see me as your child who's messed up really bad, but who's been graced. And so use my life story to help others any way you want. If, if you want sinners to be taught and instructed from this public psalm, then that, so be it. I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to cover. In fact, I'll use my lips to praise you. I mean, how could I not sing your praises? Deliver me from blood guiltiness, oh God. You're like, oh God, of my salvation, of course I'm going to sing of your righteousness. Of course I'm going to declare your praises. He killed people. He killed people. Blood guilty. We used to travel. We had this big old semi and this 
big old fifth wheel and weighed a lot of pounds. And I think I lived in perpetual fear of like, like running that thing off the road or hurting my family or running into people. I mean, I must have because every once in a while I would dream about driving that thing. In fact, one night I was dreaming, it was so real. Like it was just like so, like 3D, 4K. I mean, it was so real. And I'm driving and this little car, this little Lego car, you know, like Lego car with people. It's just like this little plastic car pulls in front of me. And I'm like, I can't believe this. I'm like, I'm turning this on over here. I can't believe this. I mean, do they have any? And then somehow when I look back, then I, I run them over. Right. And, and because it's a dream, they're all, they're all getting out of their car, you know, and I'm like, would you believe it? And I look back and now they're all dead because it's a dream. You know how the dreams, it's just like, something's missing there. You know, there was, that was not a coherent story. I mean, so now they're dead. And I'm like, would you believe that? And then there's a sheriff. Whoa, my word. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. He's like, you killed them, you know? And I just remember in the dream feeling so overwhelmed and it was so real. I woke up and right when I woke up, I started to pray, Lord, you know, I didn't mean to kill him. Lord, I don't even know how that happened. I mean, who drives Legos? I mean, it, it, maybe it was a setup. I, didn't, I don't know. I, Lord, and then, and then about 5, 10, 15 seconds later, I'm like, it's a dream. And I remember going, I didn't kill him! And Christy's like, uh, go back to bed. You know, when there's relief, when there's forgiveness, when there's grace, when there's mercy, we sing aloud of the goodness and the righteousness of God. And now David is saying, so the sacrifices of God, the things that you wanted is not my self-righteousness and my good behavior and my religion. What you, what you wanted all along is for me just to repent and to receive your grace. But, but now that I have, I mean, that's what you really wanted. The sacrifices of God are this broken spirit, a broken and humble or contrite heart. He's, he's like, now I get it. You see, David's sin was so great, his, his actions betrayed his condition, and like all of us, he deserved the death penalty for breaking God's law, and yet he received mercy upon mercy. Many died for much less, and then specifically, the other instance that I've already alluded to, the people in this passage died for David. I mean, Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, died for David. The soldiers next to Uriah died for David. There was a baby that died because of David's sin. And yet David and Bathsheba, they have another son, and his name is Solomon. And he has a son who has another son, and he has a son who has a son, and he has a son, and he has a son, and he has a son who also died for the sin of David. And this son who was descended from David according to the flesh is Jesus Christ, who is divinely the eternal son of God who lived a sinless life and a fully righteous life. And he came to this world to die for sinners, to die for lawbreakers who deserve to die for their sins. That's why Romans 5 says, now the law came to increase the trespass for where sin increased, grace abounded all the more 
So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is the point. This is where this psalm is heading to and foreshadows and whispers about that that David, he could not deal with his own sin and his own strength. He is a wicked man who committed murder and adultery and cover-up and lies and stealing and all things more. And yet what David needed was grace. What David needed was forgiveness. And what every single one of us in this room needs is the grace of God found through Jesus Christ alone. Have you ever seen your sin for all its horrificness? And have you ever seen God's grace that is even greater than all that sin. Can we bow our heads together? I just wonder with our heads bowed, I, I just, who would say with an uplifted hand that you are thankful for the mercy of God? Who would say, I'm just so thankful for God's mercy. Would you lift your hand? I wonder if there's any here who would say, Will, I don't know if I've ever been saved from my sin. I don't know if there's ever been a point in time where God's grace met me and changed me. I don't know if I've ever truly become a follower of Jesus Christ through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, like like where I just believe that Jesus Christ is equal to the Father, and I see my sin and my incapacity to save myself, and I don't know if I've ever just put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Who, Who with uplifted hand would say, Will, pray for me? I don't know if I've ever truly been saved from my sin, if that's you, would you lift your hand and say, well, I, would you pray for me? I don't know. I just don't know. Are there others? Will, I just don't know. I, I see a couple hands of some boys and girls. Are there others? I see another hand of a, a gentleman. Are there others? Say, well, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus is my Lord and Savior. In a moment, I'm going to have a time of quiet reflection, and I'm going to ask the pianist to play in just a moment. And, and when I do, you could just slip out of your chair and go to the back. Jotham would love to connect you with somebody to talk about knowing Jesus. Perhaps you're saying, Will, I don't know if I want to go to the back, but I'd love to maybe even talk to a pastor later. If that's you, do you lift your hand and say, Will, could I just talk to a pastor later, maybe in between the services, about my need for salvation? How many Christians would say, well, I'm just thinking about some of my sin of what I've done or who I am, and I just need, I need more of God's grace. Like, I know I've been forgiven positionally, but, but there's accusations that come back. There's, there's whispers that, that I hear. And that center section of the, the message where David, it was, it was like he'd already, he already asked the Lord to forgive him, and now he's just asking the Lord to, to really scrape that sin off him, to cleanse him. Who'd say, well, I was encouraged that David was crying out, asking for God to restore joy, to heal bones that were broken, like the effects of sin are heavy. And I just, I just needed that this morning. If that's you, would you lift your hand and say, well, I'm a Christian, but I need to be reminded that God's grace is bigger than sin. Well, let's take a moment of reflection as our pianist plays. Would you... Would you consider heading to the back? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you slip out? Jotham is in the back. He'd connect you with somebody. I saw a couple boys and girls that maybe you just want to whisper to your mom 
or your dad, that you say, I want to talk to you about knowing Jesus as my Savior later. Like right now, could you just talk to your mom and say, can, can someone tell me how I can know Jesus? Sir, if you want to slip to the back and let somebody talk to you about knowing Jesus, we'd rejoice with you. I'm going to ask the pianist just to play for a couple minutes.